Standing by the Terry and Ted podcast is sponsored by Jaguar Land Rover Laval, where the luxury is unmistakably British, but nobody wears a top hat or a monocle. Well, we've changed our clothes, but I, I, it's about time. I've lost, uh, I've lost track. Is this episode number four or? Uh, this is number four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. By the way, I just saw those pants you were wearing last time around. I just saw them walking down the street by themselves. <laughs> um, how are you enjoying this podcast thing? I'm enjoying Mr. it Bird? very much. Yeah. yeah it's so uh, well, we're very, we're very lucky. I was yeah. thinking about this. This morning, yeah. you and I both, when we started out in radio, started out in one horse towns, right? Yes, in, sir. In, and you even more so than me. I was in Charlottetown, which is a small city. It's a capital city. Yeah. It's not big. I think there were 20,000 people when mm-hmm. I lived there. Uh, that's where I started in radio. You started in Churchill, Manitoba. 2,200 people, not counting the polar bears. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Like, is that is that north of the Arctic Circle or uh, no. south of, but but not too far yeah, from? north of the 58th parallel, Okay, so say. you could th- maybe not throw a rock and hit it, but if you threw a rock twice, you could hit the <laughs> yeah. Arctic Circle yeah, from there. Exactly. Yeah. No, uh, no roads in or out. The only access was by train or plane. Jesus. Yeah, it was weird. So where we are now, which is at Pantelis Comedy Studios, yes. um, Pantelis and his team are at the top of the podcast game. Yes. Like we got in on the penthouse floor, we did for this, and we were very lucky, and and we're very grateful for that. Yeah. And we have, uh, as our producer, we have uh, Poseidon, who is part of the Pantelis uh, team, and you know him from uh, Two Drink Minimum and and multiple other podcasts. And uh, Poseidon doesn't know, but today he almost got a phone call from Terry in prison. <laughs> Oh shit! I, I want to hear this. As this we were as we were driving here, we we drove past Duffy's in Dorval, which is one of the dive bars to end all dive bars. I think it's fair to say that, yes. with all due respect, yes. it's not it's not where the elite gather for a cocktail. No, it's not like the lounge at the Four Seasons. No, no, it's no. not. And and much to my surprise, because I've been out of Montreal all summer long. And uh, I'm getting the hell out of Montreal after we're done here today, too. Um, But I I was stunned for all of the time that I've lived here, uh, born and raised here, worked here. I said to Ted, Jesus Christ, Duffy's is still open. It's still happening. And I said to Terry, you know, 24 years of sobriety has been a pretty good run. Maybe (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's time to throw caution to the wind. Go over there and jump off the wagon. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And we were saying that, you know, you know, Poseidon would be up here, and Terry would call him up and go, Poseidon, 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 Poseidon help. Ted's in jail. No. Ted's dead, would, and I'm in prison. Poseidon, oh, would, would you come to our rescue, Poseidon? Yeah, of course. Yeah? How much bail money you got on you? You're better off, you're better off calling me prior to getting arrested. Yeah. That's, a good, that's a good point. Oh, Christ. Well, I, I feel... Uh, First of all, I was thinking about this uh, last night uh, as I uh, uh, just before I went to sleep. I thought it, this is nice. You know, you and I have been friends for a very long time, but it's been a long time since we worked, worked together. Yep. And um, it's hard to describe to people what a great joy it is for us. Uh, to sit across from each other in kibitz, which is what we used to do for a living. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and it's nice to do it again. So it's good fun to do yeah. it. Just like the drive up here, we yeah. had we had many laughs. Yeah. But it it goes to another level when we're sitting in front of microphones Absolutely. for whatever reason. I think it's because it's a shared experience, right? Yeah. 
today, um, we wanted to talk a little bit about a Montreal institution, CJAD Radio 800. Um, because we, um, Ted and I were actually talking about this on the drive here. Uh, about uh, English, Munster, uh, Eng- English Montreal. Montreal English Montreal institutions. Hang on, I'm going to subtly clear my throat. Alrighty. <coughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's all right. And um, and the way the um, um, the audience uh, of that radio station behaves. Um, this is a, you know, I, listen, it, I, I don't want to bore you with, with uh, things that you don't care about, but we, we think this is kind of interesting because CJAD is an institution in this town has been for many years. It was on in my family's home every single day when giants walked the floors of that radio station. Um, the Jack Finnegan, George Balkan, Ted Blackman, Gord Sinclair. I grew up with these guys on the kitchen each and every day. Andy Barry was part of the team. Uh, there, there was like a, a long list of people um, that were big, big radio stars in Montreal when we were kids. And as the English community has shrunk in this town, um, and, you know, I think it shrinks a little bit more every year, um, the English community hangs on for dear life to institutions that remind them of the Montreal that The was. glory days. Yeah, that the, was. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. Because um, let's be honest, it's a, I, th- I think it's a it's a bit of a changed city. It's a lot you? of a changed city, yeah, and it started in it started in 1976 or yeah. even before 1976 in the lead up yeah. to the uh, to the first time the PQ was elected, which yeah. was in 1976, and yeah. head offices left and big companies left, and, and a lot of people lot went of, with them. Yeah, there my, was there was an exodus. My favorite uh, commentary on that is from uh, our great friend Tommy Schnurmacher, who often said on his show on CJD that they should have renamed Young Street in Toronto, René Lévesque Boulevard, because 600,000 people left the province, you know, between 77 and whatever it is. Yeah. The PQ is the party that built Toronto yes. and turned Toronto <laughs> turned Toronto into the thriving metropolis that it is today and has been for many years. Montreal, yeah. I believe Montreal, it was certainly the uh, uh, economically it was more the engine of Canada before 1976. Well, all the head offices were here. The yeah. banks head offices were here. And I think population-wise it was bigger than Toronto. It Toronto was. is yeah. now the fourth largest metropolitan area in North America yeah. after New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles. Yeah. Toronto's next. And as my wife Jess has pointed out, it's uh, an, an indication of how many people live in, Montre- in Toronto, ex-Montrealers live in Toronto, is when uh, Tommy Schnurmacher or Aislin do book signings in Toronto. And the lineups are around the block yeah. with people, again, looking for something from the the Montreal of that era. To get back to the point that that you were getting to, Montrealers, the ones who remained and remain, hang on for dear life to their cherished institutions and guard them jealously and take ownership of them. Ferociously. Yeah. So what Terry and I were speaking of this morning, and we'll speak about here, was, was that when we were on CJAD, it was a different audience for us. The audience was new to us, and we were new to them. When we left Shome and went to Mix 96, it was from one music station to another, even though they were different music formats. And so we brought a lot of listeners with us. I don't know how many listeners we brought to CJAD, 
certainly, there, I don't think there was the, the transfer of listenership in that move that there was in the Shome to, to Mix move. No. And we were introduced to an entirely new audience who didn't know us from Adam, and that was the CJD audience who'd been listening to that radio station for time or since time immemorial. Um, and uh, let's just say, at first, as I suspected, they weren't enthralled with our arrival. Um, the- well, for one thing, you had to take George Balkan's place. Yeah. And that, what a thankless task that is. <laughs> you know, and, and just to be clear, um, one thing that we did do while we were there, we did lead new people into the, uh, into the audience. There were, you know, I've always believed that, you know, when you're in your 20s and you're out every night and you're, you know, rocking and rolling um, and you listen to nothing but music, and then you get married, and then you have a child, and then you have to choose schools and maybe buy a house and everything else. That's where you become more interested in the day-to-day uh, happenings of the world. And I really believe that we helped ease the transition to you know people who were growing up with us and beginning to start their adult lives, get families, have kids and mortgages. We, we seem to help make the transition to news talk radio a little bit easier uh, in those days. But what so surprised me, and I think still exists today, because I, I know from you know, working within the vicinity of uh, the CJD studios, that the, the audience is fiercely loyal and very protective. And even though George Balkan took my hand and there's a there's a picture of me and George on the front page of the Gazette. I remember it when uh, the when he announced when it was announced that I was going to be his successor and the headline was CJD gets a new morning man. And it was George Balkan who said on his last broadcast and that morning that they announced I would be his successor he was the one who told the CJD audience, this is a fine young man and a good broadcaster, and you're, you're going to be in very, very good hands. And without his kindness and without his uh, grace, um, I would have had a much, much tougher start um, following him. You know, And he said to me, don't try and fill my shoes, Ter. Just put your shoes next to mine. It was advice that I never forgot, and it was very, very valuable. And I did try and adapt as quickly as I could. But what stunned me was the volume of angry mail. And it was the kind of mail that was so full of vicious uh, attacks, personal attacks. And keep in mind, this was, for the most part, pre-email. I mean, there yeah. was it was 1999, yeah. I believe, when you went over. Yeah. Or 98, even. I think so. 98. And so there was email at the time, but not everybody was on email. And certainly CJD listeners yeah. of that era, who were an yeah. older crowd, you know, they would have been the last ones to jump on the digital bandwagon, yeah. right? And I, listen, I'm not complaining. Um, I'm just I'm telling you the story. Yeah, relating the, the experience. I loved my time there. I really, really enjoyed it. I found it a great professional challenge, and I really, really had a nice time. Standing by the Terry and Ted podcast, brought to you in part by my friends at Matla Bunner. Ted, do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions? Please do. I'll take any attention I can get. Okay. Um, When you sleep at night, do you sleep on your side? I don't know. I've never seen me sleep. Okay. Uh, Do you prefer a big fluffy pillow or a flat pillow? 
I like a flat pillow, and I like a pillow that's got that uh, foamy stuff in it. And do you like a firm or soft mattress? I like a firm mattress. Okay, these are some of the questions you're going to get asked when you walk in to a Matelas Bonheur store. They're not being personal. They're just trying to make sure that you get the best night's sleep possible. They're beautiful. Well, they can come over and videotape me if they want. Okay, <laughs> I'll ask them if they'd like to do that. Do they do that? <laughs> I'm not sure they do, but perhaps I can suggest a new service for them. Beautifully designed stores, uh, and they're dedicated to one thing and one thing only, and that's a better night's sleep for you. If you're in the market for a mattress and you're looking for a better night's sleep, go visit the nice people that run this family-owned, locally-owned company that's growing into quite the chain. They started out with one store on Gwen Boulevard. They now have 17 locations in the Montreal area. Find the one near you, matlabonheur.ca. But I was telling Ted this morning, one of the things that we, I, I, I remember vividly is so many people who listened to the radio station had beautiful handwriting. So because they came from yeah. from generations right. where you didn't you, you weren't on your phone typing or right. on your computer, you were you wrote everything out by hand. And being, and they had terrific penmanship. Right. And being in the radio business for many years, you could usually tell when there was a letter that came from someone who wasn't pleased. Yeah. You know, it usually, you know, had really bad handwriting or it was addressed in pencil <laughs> or, you know, like it, you could look at it and go, oh, Christ, this yeah. is not No return address. Yeah, no return yeah. address. But this this mail that came in that I would read surprised me. And the 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 end of it for me, the 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 straw that broke the camel's back after about four or five months of these really, really wicked, you know, not not hundreds, but, you know, I would say, you know, four or five a week came in the beginning. Right. And this one day I thought, you know, and I, I saw this this beautiful handwriting on the envelope with the return address. And I thought, this looks like the kind of letter that would come from your aunt to rise. Yeah. You know, the, she would. She send, must have lo something lovely to yeah, say yeah, with handwriting like that. Yeah, I'm sure there's a $5 bill in here. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> and I opened up the letter and it was, you know, there was a beautiful handwritten date in the top right-hand corner and, and, and beautifully constructed, dear Terry with a comma, you know, and the, profit, uh, the proper indentation. Spacing, yeah. And, and I began to read it, and I, I'll, I'll just paraphrase. I've kept the letter because it was so stunning to me. And it was with regards to your uh, arrival at CJAD, I thought I would offer my commentary. And it, um, never in my life have I listened to so much, somebody who clearly is such an imbecile, who has no idea what they're doing, and da-da-da-da-da. And towards the end, she, she thought the, the perfect cherry on this Sunday <laughs> was going to be, she said, I just, I'm tired of hearing you uh, tell everybody that you're single. It's no surprise to me that you're single. Who would want to marry a fat piece of shit like you? Jesus. Anyway, I thought I would let you know how I felt. Regards. All the best, Agnes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what I did was, um, I I thought I I I don't want to read these things anymore. So uh, uh, that morning, I read the letter on the air. Oh, really? I eh? did, and I said, um, you know, I just I just want to address the uh, the volume of mail that's been coming in, and much of it has been very kind and supportive, and I really really appreciate it. But I just want you to know. 
you know, if you're getting ready to write me an angry letter, you'll be hard to top Agnes's letter. Let me read it to you. And I, uh, you know, I clearly edited it. I didn't, yeah. you know, I didn't swear on the air. But you know what, ha- what happened, Ted? The, the, that kind of mail stopped. It stopped that day. And uh, I guess it gave people pause, you know. I, I suppose I wasn't looking for sympathy, but I just said, you know, I'm no longer going to, you know, respond to these or, you know, I, as soon as I see an angry sentence, I'm going to tear it up and throw it in the wastebasket. Yeah. And, and they stopped. But there's something about, uh, I think, not just the fact that it was a news talk station, but, you know, and people listen to it all day long, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, which a lot of people still do. But there were, there's the audience is just so fiercely protective, and they do not like change of any kind. No. And when we went over, I got a similar uh, letter to the one that Terry got. Might even have been the same person because the handwriting was also a very impressive penmanship. Uh, I do uh, still and have for many years a bit called revisionist history where I'll take an event in history and then I'll put a funny spin on it. And I brought that over to CJD. And... One morning I did a joke about the Battle of Verdun, which was a famous battle in World War One, And I mm-hmm. said on this date in 1915, the Battle of Verdun was canceled when the Germans took the wrong exit off of uh, Highway 15 before they got to the Champlain Bridge or something. You know, a joke about Verdun, Quebec, Ended up right? Ended up on De La Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, fast forward a week or however much later it was, and I get the same sort of envelope Terry got with the impressive handwriting and stuff, and I opened up, and it was a woman telling me that my Battle of Verdun joke was not funny and was an extremely poor taste and personally offensive to her because her husband fought at the Battle of Verdun. <laughs> Which was 1915, I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. So or 16. Yeah. So so it was an older crowd. Yes. That's yeah. that's for sure. No disrespect intended no. to the veterans yeah. of WWL. No, none, yeah, none, none whatsoever, <laughs> yeah. you know. It's you know, to me it was this, you know, it's a similar joke to December ni- uh, 7th 1941 the Japanese attacked Pearl Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, ha ha ha. It's, <laughs> It's. I understand that it's. You know, it was a. It was a terrible incident and everything like that. But uh, John John Moore, our great and good friend and former colleague, always says, "Death plus time equals humor." There you go. But imagine, imagine the husband surviving World War One, going through all that. But yet his wife is still the one that kills him. <laughs> that bitch Agnes. Imagine, just like you know, the man went through everything, <laughs> and yet yeah. it was her. <laughs> yeah, survived the great yeah. slaughterhouse of WW One, yeah. but then he had to come home to Agnes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, while we're talking about it, um, I, I want to pay tribute to uh, Thumbs Repaw, who is a, if you're a CJD listener, that, that name would, would ring a bell. Glenn Repaw was uh, known as Thumbs. Uh, George Balkin gave him that uh, nickname. And uh, he was uh, such a massive help to me. You know, and that was in the days before technology that Poseidon is sitting in front of. Everything was analog, and he had to, you know, make sure you know the news got on time. The helicopter—it was almost like playing a piano. Yeah, there were so it, many yeah. buttons to push, and you had to employ all your fingers. Yeah, and uh, nobody did it better than he did. Yeah. And he was very, very supportive to me. And uh, um, I, cu- I couldn't, uh, I couldn't have made it through that with uh, without uh, without his support. He was really excited to have you know a fresh face and a new start because he had been working at cjd for for a long long time and i 
I I don't. A lot of people think I regretted being there, but I I didn't. I I really enjoyed my time there. Did you, Ted? I did. Yeah, yeah. and it was you know it was another format to conquer. Yeah, uh, kind of thing. So it was enjoyable, and we did have some fun there, and we, we did, did have some laughs. Yeah. And one of them was at my expense, and I was perfectly fine with it during the birthday announcements one yes. morning. Yes. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, how did it go though? It, I thought it was in my mind. It was you that pulled the gag on me. No, it was, but it was, was uh, it thumbs? no, it, I think it was Blair. It was I think Blair. it was our friend Blair Bartram. Right. Yeah. Yes. Who put in, uh, he put in the pile of birthday, which yeah. is every morning at seven fifteen or whatever. We yeah, would wish we happy do, birthday yeah. to whoever, you know, people would send in their birthday wishes for their friends, relatives, whatever. And so these guys, one morning they put in the name, Ashid Mapans, A-S-H-E-E-D, last name Mapans, M-A-H-P-A-N-S. And they hand it to me. But and I, I wasn't in on it. You weren't, eh? No. But you got it. I, I, I didn't. I, 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 I didn't get it. I read it. I said, and happy birthday to Ashid Mapans. <laughs> and Terry fucking lost well, it. And I'm sitting there going, what's so funny? No, but I, I think the way it went, as I remember it, you you initially struggled with it. You you okay, you were like well be. And a happy I don't know birth- how to pronounce this. A happy yeah. birthday to Bert Lar and a happy birthday to Kevin from NDG. And here's a birthday wish for Ash Ashid Ashid Mapans Ashid Mapans. Happy birthday! And, and it it clicked. It dawned on me that it didn't uh, click with me at had, all. <laughs> you had been at yeah. There, um, the uh, people ask me all the time about swearing on the air. And one morning. Uh, there was a little um, in front of you when you sat uh, at the uh, broadcast table in the studio. There's a little box, and on that box was a, you know, it was a two button box, and one button was red and one button was white. You hit the red button, you were on the radio. You hit the white button, you were off the radio. And I came in one morning, and the red button wasn't wasn't working. I would push it, and nothing would happen. And I was there early enough. I thought, I'll fix it. And as uh, you're very aware, I'm quite handy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. very, very handy. The guys used to joke that uh, at my house, uh, I had a toolbox, and inside the toolbox was a checkbook and the yellow pages. (laughs) And I began to uh, fart around with this switch with a screwdriver. I don't know what I thought I was doing. And I was getting really, really frustrated, and I couldn't couldn't get this microphone button to go down. And if I didn't, we were going to have to call engineers in at 5.30 in the morning. And just as the show was about to start, I managed to get the screwdriver to get the button down and jammed my finger at the same time and went, fuck! (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I guess I was lucky in in some ways that... uh, it well, was, it was five in the morning or it whatever. Was, it was five thirty in the morning, um, but I think I think I handled it properly because I went on the air and I told the story and I apologized. Right, and uh, there wasn't because uh, I thought that was going to lead to an avalanche of calls for my job. You know, I think in the, today it, it may have led to the my dismissal. You know, when you think about the 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 fury that could have been created on social media. Yeah, but it was an honest mistake, and you didn't insult or right. or offend any uh, right. marginalized groups. So I think you would have been okay. If you happen to listen to us in our old jobs uh, years ago, you know that uh, Ted and I have been speaking on the Mercens' behalf for quite a long time. So it won't surprise you to know 
that our good friends at the Mersons were immediate supporters of the Standing By podcast, and it's nice to have them along, Ted. It sure is, and I have no problem whatsoever speaking on behalf of the Mersons because I've seen them in action and I know that they operate in a business where not everybody's above board. They are always above board and honest. And the way I know that is from my experiences in their waiting room, waiting for my car, and they come out and whether they're addressing me or another client, it's always they explain what's happening with the car and they don't tell you just what you need they'll tell you what you don't need they'll tell you you've got 10,000 kilometers left on your winter tires or you've got 5,000 kilometers left on your brakes they give you a heads up it's not a hard sell it's not the oh well if you don't fix those brakes right now you'll probably drive right off the bridge on the way home that's how you keep customers coming back for three generations you treat them uh, honestly and you treat them like they've got a brain and that's what the Mersons do and that's why you'll see new generations of families at the Mersons. I've I've been in the waiting room and and heard people say to the people at the counter, my dad brought his uh, car here for years and now I'm bringing my car here for safety for my family too. It's uh, the way you build a business that's as strong as the Mersons with integrity and honesty. And that's why we've got no problem telling you that if you visit the Mersons, you will love the way they look after you. Call them at 487-5545 or visit them online at mersonauto.com. My uh, wife at the time, Danielle, dropped the F-bomb one morning. And you know, I've got this on my, I've got this on my phone. It's too bad I can't find my phone. I think I left it in the car. Um, we phoned her one morning. You remember we used to call her, right? And yeah. get her on the yeah, air. And yeah. it was usually pretty yeah. funny. You she know? had a great sense of Good humor. Good sense of humor, yeah. yeah. And so this was after you had gone to Calgary and I was working with Rob Kemp. And uh, one morning, uh, the boys' school was canceled because there was a, a water main break at their school. So Charlie's school was canceled. So we had to call. We thought, let's call Danielle and tell her that Charlie has no school today. On the air. Yeah. And this was at the... This was, uh, at the end of March break, so she had had it with the kids being home. Allie was just born, so she's got a little baby, maybe six months old. And so we call on the air, and Charlie answers the phone. And he's, you know, at this point, he's like, I don't know, he's four or, four or five. So it was, I guess it was his daycare, his pre-K that, that had the broken uh, water main. So he answers the phone. Hi, Dad. And we talk to him. And, and uh, unbeknownst to us, Danielle has picked up the extension but she she's picked it up not realizing that she's on, on the radio, right? So I said, Charlie, do you know uh, do you know you don't have any school today? And your Dan Danielle go, Oh, you're fucking kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> and then we were like, Dan, 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 Dan. No, 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 we're on the air. And you know what? The reaction to that right. far from being people complaining was man can i ever relate Relates. to that yeah because it was an honest mistake and it was something that was very relatable we uh, we should mention a lot of radio programs and i think the majority of radio programs worked on tape everybody a lot of a lot of morning shows were afraid to go on the air live and i never understood that because to me the joy of being on the radio that's the magic is the high wire act yeah you know you i used to say we're working without a net right we would we would phone people live on the air like we you know when we did wake up calls or birthday wishes 
or or contests, contests, whatever yeah. it was. We always went to the phone live, knowing that anything could happen, and then you would you would have to react to that in the moment. And I I I thought it kept us sharp. <laughs> Maybe it didn't. Yeah, I don't. I think so. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Well, and it also I I like the fact that it always allowed the listener to be. Yeah. star as well yeah. you know it allowed the listener to shine yeah yeah um and it was an era too where we worked with um you know uh, it was was a great i think uh privilege to work with guys from uh an era that has long since passed when i think of you know like gordon sinclair from uh you know really a legendary family his his father uh was a big deal in toronto if you remember a show called Front Page Challenge, right, his yeah. dad was on that. And Gord Sinclair owned a radio station on the West Island called Seafox and was uh, an old school journalist um, who uh, had quite a big reputation in the business and quite a big booming voice, yeah. um, as you recall. I'm Gord Sinclair on a day that's sunny, cloudy, windy, breezy, <laughs> rainy, dopey, snow, grumpy, <laughs> sneezy, and dark. <laughs> What do you think's going to become of News Talk Radio, Ted? I don't know. That's uh, that's a good question. I, you know, I think it seems to me that the medium in general is is on the wane. I think that that uh, digital media has changed the landscape yeah. enormously. Yeah. And I know that uh, some old school radio people would say, "Ah, yeah." When TV came along, they said it'd be the death of radio, and it wasn't. But I think this is different. Yeah. Uh, I I really do, and I also. You know, as we've seen uh, over the course of our careers, uh, most radio stations now are corporate-owned, mm. and they're not run by radio people, and right. the decisions aren't made by radio people. The decisions are made by MBAs and CAs uh, who don't know and, frankly, don't care about the product and are more interested in the bottom line and the share price. So I th I think that as the quality of radio declines, which I think is happening, uh listenership will decline and revenues will decline and you know i don't think it'll ever be dead no but uh i don't see it i just i don't see a bright future unless there's you know unless there's some you know uh fundamental and and earth-shaking change and i don't see where that would it would have to be an ownership yeah it would have to be a change it would have to kind of revert back to what it was uh when you and i were in our heyday the radio stations were owned by families. Most of the stations in the country were owned by the Slate family or the Waters family. I think, think there were a couple of families out west there as well. There were, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and they were broadcasters. They were professional broadcasters. Right. So they understood that there were two components. There was the business component and the creative component and that they were complementary and that they fed each other. And so that so they would put equal onus on the, on the product as well as on, on the business end of it. And I think that was smart, and I think that it that it worked well. But then, when those families sold to major corporations, everything changed. The landscape changed. Yeah, I think it's even happening in you know, like the movie business, right? Movies movies get made now because they work uh, on a uh, on a worldwide market, and that's why there's so many movies about comic books. You know, the comic book movies are all done by corporations in order to. I assume they're a big seller in China. Big time, yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. That's exactly what yeah. happens. And 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 there, you know, I was. I don't know if I was talking about this in in episodes previous, but this is one of the wonderful things about being able to 
uh, do what we're doing now in this environment here. It's such studio. a great opportunity, and I don't want to sound like, you know, old guy, oh, the radio's dead. <laughs> I don't want to sound crabby and bitter because I'm not. You know, I'm very grateful Neither for the run I. that we had yep. and even more grateful that now we have this opportunity to continue to do what we do, only do it in a, in a new, on a new platform and yeah. a new milieu. Yeah, we were able to, I was uh, telling Poseidon this yesterday, uh, able to uh, conceive an idea um, and an hour and a half later, look at the uh, look at the the end result of that idea. That's the kind of creativity that I I haven't experienced in the last ten or twelve years. Yeah, and we're also lucky that we've uh, we've got some support. Yes. from from, uh, from folks who uh, we've known and been involved with for a long time. Our title sponsor on this podcast is Jaguar Land Rover Laval, yep. and Nino and Renato DiCubellis, and their marketing director Adrian McGrath is the biggest. Terry and Ted cheerleader yeah, of all. Big time. God love her. And she yeah. gave us a beautiful, beautiful Land Rover Defender to drive around uh, for the weekend while we're uh, in between recording these podcasts. And I'm telling you, I, this, this vehicle is unbelievable. The Defender used to be the one you would see in the Tarzan movies, right? Yes. It was the, it was the, like the, the old school go through the jungle Land Rover. Tari. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And it, it like it was not like luxury was not one of the components, no. right? But it is now. It still has that off-road capability, but it's also a beautiful luxury vehicle. And it's big. It's a big, it's a big SUV. But it has so much technology on it now that i realized driving it and parking it it's easier to park than my car which is about half the size yeah. because of all the cameras and sensors yeah and everything that you have and i'm you know i'm thinking about uh, uh, uh taking a course to get my class one license which is uh, for tractor trailers wow. and if i can park this thing <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know what i'm sure the big trucks have uh, have all the new ones probably have all of that technology and more now and what was impressive to me was when ted picked me up this morning he figured out how to make the phone go through the uh, i did i figured out yeah <laughs> i figured out how to play the uh, how to play the music off my phone through the uh, sound system yeah. and it, it's not that it's complicated but there's just so much technology now that you really have to take some time yeah. To you know, it's still the same when it comes to okay. You put it in drive and hit the gas pedal, and that's how it goes. <laughs> but but to learn all of the uh, uh, or figure out all of the extras because there are so many of them. But it's a beautiful, beautiful vehicle that you can see at uh, Land Rover Jaguar Laval. They also have McLarens up there, so I'm thinking that maybe when we take this thing back, maybe they'll give us a McLaren to take out. <laughs> For the weekend, next weekend. Tara, like what do you say, think? As I like to say, that's highly Selassie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you think about giving us a McLaren, Adrian? Hello. <laughs> Hello. Um, we should, um, I'd like to wrap up the episode uh, just to, to clarify uh, something. And that is, um, a lot of people ask me uh, why I, I left the chair at CJD, a lot of people um, uh, assumed I was removed from that chair, and uh, I wasn't. Um, I was very, very, very happy there. And uh, as we've been referring to uh, a number of times, um, the uh, Slate family um, owned CJD. There was Alan Slate, the man who f who founded the Slate companies, and his son Gary. And Alan, the dad, loved CJD. 
and he loved the other one he owned in Toronto, CFRB. And Gary told me his father considered those two radio stations jewels in the crown at Standard Radio, and that he was very proud to have me in the chair as a new generation morning man. But they bought Shome. And for the first time in radio history, I think, I could be wrong, but for the first time, a company in Canada was allowed to own three radio stations. So that was groundbreaking because years ago, you were only allowed to own one AM, one FM, and one television station. In a single market. In a single market. So in Toronto, uh, I think the Slates owned CFRB. CKFM. And CKFM. And in Montreal, they own CJAD and Mix 96. And then they, they made a bid to buy Shome, and the government gave them permission to buy Shome so that they now own three radio stations. The government has since abdicated that responsibility because now the big companies... Now you can own as many as you want. Yeah, you can do whatever you want <laughs> yeah. and control the market. Yeah. But back in that day, that was really quite something. And um, Gary flew into Montreal and told me I was more than welcome to stay. That if I wanted to stay at CJD and I was happy at CJD, they were they were pleased and 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 proud to have me. He said, "But with your history at Shome, I think you and Ted could really really do well for us at Shome, and we could certainly make a lot more money with you." He was honest about it. If if you guys were to return to Shome, and I think that that would be the right move. He didn't really say you and Ted. He just said to Terry. He just said you. <laughs> no. But every time Terry made a move at Gary Slate's request, he needed someone to carry his bags. So that's where I came in. <laughs> he actually, he did the right thing. As a matter of fact, a radio executive who was a good friend of ours said, if Shom had been smart when I came back from Calgary, they would have phoned you and put us back together. Well, that's a whole other story. That's there were two story yeah, there were there day. were there was too much pride and too many egos right. at play on both sides right. of the fence there. Anyway, I had this lunch. Gary flew in and gave me the story and told me my options and told me I take a couple of days and think about it. See, I didn't get invited to the lunch. Nope. <laughs> and and uh, he left town. He flew in to town just to have lunch with me and then left town that day. And I was at home pondering what I should do. And I spoke to a friend of mine who was a lawyer. And I said, you know, the, the, you know, Gary flew in today and told him the story. And he said, there was long silence on the, on the, uh, the other end of the phone. And he said, okay, let me see if I got this straight. The owner of the company flew in and told you he'd like you to go work at Shom. I said, yeah. He said, and what's, what is your issue? He said, it's pretty clear what you have to do. The owner wants you to go work at Shome. Are you stupid? I went, oh, yeah, I guess, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're probably right. He goes, yeah, uh, yeah. He said, he's asking you out of decency and respect. Yeah. But if you look around the edges... He's telling you that's yeah. where he needs you. Yeah. That's where you're going to go. And that's how I ended up back at Shom. And that's when we started our second run there, I think. Correct? Yep. Second run. It was a five-year run. Okay. Yeah. All right. 
the end? Well, for now, yeah, we can we can talk about uh, we can talk about the second run when we come back. Uh, but right now, I have to pee. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I know. We, I should have thought of that before we oh, left. Oh, <laughs> Grandpa, come on! <laughs> I'm not stopping this car. <laughs> should have brought a jar, Birdman. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Well, it's. Uh, I guess we're at that point in our lives where. The reason you end the podcast is because one of the hosts has to be. <laughs> that doesn't happen to you guys, does it, Poseidon? Never seen Sometimes. That. <laughs> Depends what you drink. Yeah, I guess, eh? All yeah, right. Well, that's an extra large coffee, so. All yeah. right. Well, you better run, Birdman. All right, then. Standing by the Terry and Ted podcast is sponsored by Jaguar Land Rover Laval. Because you're probably going to move up north at some point anyway, so you might as well drive a Land Rover and fit in.